I'm Kimberly C. Paul. Today we talk with Claire Bedwell-Smith. Claire is a therapist specializing in grief, but she is also a writer that has written three wonderful books about love, loss, and grief. She hopes to inspire us and give us permission to grieve in our own unique ways, and that grief sometimes doesn't have a timeline. How do we become the architect of our own destiny? Throughout two decades of working with the dying, I think I've discovered the secrets to dying well in America. We must learn to build the pathways to our last chapter, to create the blueprints that reflects our individual lives and values. Knowledge is power, and if we desire a death that reflects our life, we must become the designer. First of all, I just want to say it was a pleasure to meet you in San Francisco at the NWELL 2000. 17 conference um we met and there you know when you meet people you just sort of hit it off and that's what happened to us it did right away what a fantastic week that was it was a great week and i so enjoyed you and i'm so glad that we're keeping in touch and and first of all i'm so glad to have you on this podcast. Thank you. That was the first thing I heard about you. I remember I sat down at that table and Jeremy, who became our friend, was like, oh my gosh, Kimberly Paul's going to be here. I love her <laughs> podcast. And I was like, ooh, I need to know more. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I I don't realize that anyone listens. <laughs> you know? Apparently they do. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeremy's such a cool kid anyway. Um, but what what amazes me is that you, when you meet people, you don't realize their background until you start, you know, knowing a little bit about them and doing research for something like a podcast or, you know, and I was so surprised to hear about how you came to kind of meet grief at such a young age. Mm -hmm. I did. Yeah. I, um, both of my parents got cancer at the same time when I was 14 and I'm an only child and my mother died when I was 18 and my father died when I was 25. So pretty early on in my adulthood, I was very much alone in the world. Um, and those were the two like really big hallmark losses. And I somehow have incurred so many more losses. It's just like, it's my weird life path. There's been so many, um, and it's been something that's just followed me through my whole life. Do you realize, I mean, is it because you're aware of of that death thing at such a young age? Because, you know, death is all around us, but a lot of us tend to kind of ignore it until it's like right slapping us in the face. And then this thing called grief comes afterwards that to be honest with you, I, you know, I just finished writing a book. I didn't realize I was grieving Mm -hmm. until you sit down and really process this. And sometimes you don't know you're grieving and it comes out in other ways. So talk to me as a young person, how did you deal with the grief of losing your parents and being an only child? Well, I dealt with it in many unhealthy ways and some <laughs> healthy ways. <laughs> so I love because, that you're authentic. You know, I mean, I was I was a teenager when I started um, having anticipatory grief. You know, like you know, I was suddenly thrust into this world that none of my peers were living. Like my teenage friends were, you know, worrying about cars and boys and whether or not to do drugs or whatever the thing was. And I was worrying about those things or interested in them, but also thinking about how my parents might die soon and what that would be like. And it was just a really different world. Um, 
And so I dealt with it. You know, I had always been a writer since I was a little kid. It was just my go-to outlet for everything. So that was my healthy way of of coping was to write about it. And I was going to be the next Anne Sexton without the suicide. Um, oh. and, um, or Sylvia Plath. You know, yeah, like, either and, one is yeah, excellent. Both without the suicide. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Of course. So, I wrote all the time and that was my goal. I was going to be a writer and I was just, um, I wrote through everything. But then I also, you know, really tried to disappear in lots of ways through boys, through alcohol, through traveling, running away. Um, and so there was a kind of a mix of, of ways that I coped and I didn't really have a lot of guideposts for how to do this because our culture is pretty bad at grief and death and no one really knew what to do with me as a teenager and adolescent going through this. Um, so I really kind of navigated it on my own and it was tricky. And I, I think that's what is so valid with what you're doing today, you know, being a full-time therapist around grief and loss, but also embracing your being a writer because you you just put out your third book yeah it's coming out this fall I just finished writing it it's just amazing how that is part of how we heal is and I I feel that connection with you because that's how I feel like I've healed is through writing Mm -hmm. but your parents had very different deaths they did yeah and that was one of the things that really has shaped my path especially in grief my um my mother was really unable to face her death and unable to face her fears around it and her fears around her illness. And she kind of just did what she was told from the medical community, but really had a hard time talking about it with me and my father and um, with herself too. And so she kind of just went full medical up till the very end and kept trying treatment after treatment, even after the doctors had told her that it would probably be best if she went home and did hospice. She um, she instead found like a last minute, you know, place to go and try some more more treatments that were really harrowing. And so she kind of died in the middle of all that. And it was very, um, it was somehow unexpected. I mean, I was 18 and she'd been sick for four or five years, but I just didn't think she was actually going to die. And because we hadn't talked about it and because we hadn't faced it when she, when it did happen, I wasn't there. We hadn't said goodbye. I was totally unprepared for it. And it was horrific. Um, she'd been my best friend and my, my just pillar in life. And, uh, she was gone suddenly and I did not know what to do with myself. Um, Seven years later, when my father died, he chose a really different death. He was older. Um, He'd had me later in life, and he'd lived a lot of life, and he was just kind of a wise, old, peaceful guy. And he, um, he wanted to die at home with hospice, and I was his caregiver for that. And I was young. I was only 24, 25 when he was dying. And again, it was like this discrepancy between what I was going through and my peers, they were all out of college doing their first post-grad jobs, you know, and like moving in with boyfriends or girlfriends and kind of living this twenties life. And I was living in my dad's condo in orange County, like scrubbing his dentures and emptying his catheter and like signing, you know, do not resuscitate forms. (laughs) It was intense and I'm really lonely. And, um, but I will say that my father's death was so much more peaceful and really beautiful compared to my mother's. And we really, with the help of hospice, were able to sit together and talk through things and have a plan and say the things we needed to say. And I was sitting there holding his hand in the moments he died. 
And there was very little regret afterwards. And it was really a beautiful experience. Mm. And so you really have seen two extremes from the aggressive to the end and then a shockful death um, and then a very kind of peaceful leaning into their own death, knowing this was coming. And everybody, you're like, oh, you found closure. I'm like, I'm not sure I believe in closure because when you love somebody, there's it never ends. But right. at least you find some peace. And, mm-hmm. and that peace leads to healing. Um, but I, I, is that what led you to open a door as a grief counselor with hospice? Eventually, yeah. After my father died, I kind of went back to writing for a while and I was working for magazines and I was going to be a travel writer and I was working on a book and it, none of it felt meaningful to me. It just felt really um, not important to the world, <laughs> what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I ended up working, I had been following Dave Eggers, um, He is an author of many books, but his first book was called A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius about both of his parents who died. And I had a big crush on him and I was sure that we were going to get married because I had also lost (laughs) my parents and I was a writer. You had a lot in common. (laughs) And so um, in following him, he had opened up a tutoring and literacy center for underprivileged kids. And I ended up working there because I wanted to marry Dave Eggers. Um, and, and that was your way in, that was of course. Way in. But what happened was <laughs> I did not marry Dave Eggers. Um, but I, I found that um, working to do service for other people changed my life. Um, I went into that job very depressed. It was the year after my dad died. And I was just felt like my life was meant nothing. And I didn't know what I was going to do with myself at all. And then I found myself coming home from that job every day, um, feeling like I was contributing to the world and like I mattered and like I was, I, there was something useful I could do with myself and my time. And that, that really propelled me into, from there I worked with homeless people. Then I worked, um, in mental health for a while. I went back and got my master's in clinical psychology And when I graduated, I knew that I would work in hospice um, initially. And I did. I became a grief counselor for hospice as my first job out of grad school. So how long were you with hospice? I was with hospice for four years. Wow. That's a long time. Yeah, it was it was a significant amount of time. And I was I was 29 when I started. And so I was pretty young. I remember I'd, again, this whole thing with my peers, I would be out at bars, I was living in Chicago at the time, and we'd be out with our friends and people would be like, So what do you do? And I'd be like, Oh, I work for hospice. And they'd be like, What? <laughs> that sounds horrible. Um, and <laughs> I loved it. It was beautiful. It was such an amazing experience. The nurse, the nurses were incredible, the doctors, everybody who worked in hospice was just they were really special people, people who could do this work. They had senses of humor that were amazing. They had so much heart and compassion. And um, it was amazing to help people, help families and patients enter the end of their lives. You now live in Los Angeles, which how, do, how did you go from Chicago and what sparked this whole Los Angeles move? You know, I'd actually been here before Chicago. My father had moved out here after my mom died. He really liked California, and it kind of was what brought me out here. Um, And then I just went to Chicago for a brief time, and then I came back here. I love California, and that's where I am now. I'm in Santa Monica, and I have a private practice. So I've been in private practice now for 
seven or eight years in Los Angeles as a grief therapist. That is amazing. And of course, it's really sunny out there and there's a lot of cool people. You're right. <laughs> you know, further down from San Francisco, a lot of innovation going on in California around end of life. And and you're playing a huge role in that. Yeah, I just, I really think that the, it's so important that we keep talking about this and we keep, um, just keep the conversation really vibrant about death um, because people need it. Everyone is going to go through this at some point or another, they're going to find themselves grieving. And the more support that is out there, the better that we will be. But I think also coming at it from two sides, one of the things I loved about the Endwell Symposium where we met was was really talking to doctors and nurses and, and, and medical professionals, because I feel like we have to come at this thing from a lot of different ends. Um, working in hospice was amazing, but also frustrating. We would have patients who came on with two days to live and they could have been on for three months with us and we could have been working with their families and we could have been in their homes and we could have been providing so much support. But because our culture shrinks so much from talking about death or facing it, um, we do it, we wait up until the very last minute. And so I feel like we have to come at this thing from a social level, a cultural level, a medical level. We really have to be talking about it um, in all these different capacities. And so I really, that's a really huge, important part of, of my work, I feel, is is making this conversation bigger. And that's why I write about it, you know? And, and that's, it opens the door. I mean, you've been writing since 12, but you have, you, that's, you wrote a book about your experience, your first book um, about the experience of your mom and dad, correct? The Rules of Inheritance is my first book and it's a memoir about losing them. Um, and, you know, when my mom died and I, I felt so alone, I didn't know anybody who had been through loss at that age or anything really at that age. And so I turned to books and I read every memoir I could find about anything hard that somebody went through, alcoholism, incest, car crashes, like whatever, you name it, something hard that somebody had to go through and then come out the other end. Um, and so I kind of decided to do the same when I came through mine. I wanted to share my experience. And that was where my first memoir came from. And Penguin published that. And I mean, you've you've gotten a lot of speaking engagements and you've, you were nationally known as an expert when it comes to uh, grief and loss, not because you got a degree in it, but actually you live through this at such a young age. That, and because you're still young. I mean, you're, you're not. I'll be 40 this year. <laughs> yeah, you're, yes, no. you're still young and you have a lot of history with all of this. And, you know, not to bring up another sad thing, but you lost a really good friend at 21 I did. with an illness. I did. Yeah, my friend Julie. And um, again, the peer thing, it was, it was such a a different experience to lose somebody my age. You know, it's one thing to lose parents, grandparents, people older than us that are farther along in life, but to lose someone who's walking the same path as you really makes you reflect on your own path and your identity and your sense of purpose in the world. And she set me off on my writing my second book, which um, was an exploration of the afterlife and me trying to figure out what happens when we die. <laughs> Just a light, light, easy topic to take on. Well, what, what did you find out? Cause I'm so into what is beyond this. Did you figure that out? I did not find the answer Kimberly to what happens when we die, but I found out <laughs> a lot of really um, important things. The, the main thing being that, um, talking about these, talking about the afterlife, thinking about it and exploring our connections to the people we've lost is really important to our grief process and to our sense of connection to that, those people. Um, you know, in the grief world, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, there was a big, even 20 years ago, there was a big emphasis on 
when you lose somebody, you move on and you get over it and you just like pack up their stuff and you get remarried or you do whatever you have another kid move on. Um, now the emphasis has really shifted to less of moving on and how do, how do we stay connected? How do we keep that person in our lives? How do we um, maintain that that relationship with them even after they're gone? And that's what that book was very much about for me. Um, regardless of what you believe, what you discover, what your spiritual spiritual life is, you can maintain a sense of connection and a relationship with someone that you've lost. And that is really healing. Well, you know, this is the thing. And I've read several little pieces in that book. And what it did for me is it gave me permission to still have a connection. Yes, exactly. You know, and it also when I'm when I wanted to talk to my grandmother, I'd be like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about you. And it made me feel like I wasn't insane. Yeah, good. I mean, I think that's the thing. Most people come through it and they're like, oh, I'm just supposed to completely sever this relationship and not talk to this person that I would talk to for 40 years or whatever the case. And that's, that just doesn't work inside our inside our hearts and our souls. So we have to learn a new way to stay connected. Uh, and I love it. And I highly recommend individuals read that book. But you also are, are working on your third book and it has to do with anxiety and grief. And, and this is where I think where we live and, you know, well, United States, it's like when you lose something, whether they're really important or a distant relative, you got three days and then you got to snap back into, hey, job, kids, mother, what other titles that you, you know, have and portray in this life? I mean, what what is your opinion? I mean, there's no one who can grieve in a three-day period. There's nobody. Um, it's impossible. Often it doesn't even the grief doesn't even really come on for the first few weeks. Like you're in such shock and numbness. And, um, and that's the time that you're allotted, right? That those initial days um, and weeks. Um, so yeah, uh, the new book is called Anxiety, the Missing Stage of Grief. And it's really born out of all the work I've been doing these last 10 years in the field, in hospice and in my private practice. And just seeing over and over, um, clients who develop anxiety after a significant loss. Um, someone loses their dad and three months later they, they're having panic attacks and ending up in the ER and they just, they're kind of, you know, experiencing like a debilitating anxiety or even just a low grade anxiety about life. And no one's talking about this. I went through it myself. I, um, had anxiety and panic attacks after my mother died and, and then I just started seeing it all over the place. And there's nothing in the grief literature really about anxiety. And there's very little in the anxiety literature about grief. Yet it's this correlation that I think is pretty undeniable. And it makes sense. You know, when we go through a loss like this, it's so startling. And it's a real wake-up call to our mortality and to the precariousness of life. And we just realize how anything could really happen. All these things we're planning for all the time. Um, aren't necessarily guaranteed at all. And it's for someone who's been kind of living a normal life and going along and thinking that everything was going to be as they thought it would be. It's it's very disorienting to go through a big loss. Um, and anxiety is often the most common symptom that comes on after that. Well, I think you bring up a very, very valid point about anxiety, especially in the world that we live in. And sometimes you don't, I don't, I'm going through something internally because of something externally and I'm and I'm I know what's I but I never have pinpointed is that anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what is anxiety? 
anxiety is a very slippery idea, right? It's, right. Uh, it's kind of hard to get your, your mind around. And sometimes it feels as though it's a little beyond us. We can wake up in the morning feeling anxious before we've even opened our eyes, you know, and whether that comes from things we were dreaming about or just repressed emotions that we're not grappling with. Um, and that happens a lot in grief. You know, we are trying to push through, we're trying to tamp down all these big feelings and push through. And when we tamp things down, that's where anxiety surfaces because there's so much going on in our hearts and our brains underneath the surface. Um, anxiety is a, is a feeling of unease. It's a feeling of dread. It's a, it's fear. Um, and it's very connected to our thoughts. Our thoughts create feelings, which create behaviors. So we wake up in the morning and we have a thought like my dad is dead. Oh my God, my life is never going to be the same. And that thought creates a feeling of unease, right? That unease is the anxiety. And suddenly everything feels uneasy and everything feels precarious. And you wonder if you're even going to make it to work today. And suddenly before you know it, you're not even out of bed yet and you're having a panic attack. You know? Right, right. And and that's the thing. What I I you know of course worked in hospice care for so long, and I used to get up and immediately turn on the television and watch the Today Show. Mm-hmm. And I found as the world was changing that that gave me a lot of anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. And and we're going through that big time right now. Absolutely. Climate, just everything that's going on, global warming, everything that's happening. You, if you just even, yeah, turn on the news in the morning, you're, you're walking out the door with panic. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So when does this book come out? September this year. I am so excited for you. This is like Thank your you. third book. I um, know. And anybody that calls themselves a writer and actually sits down to write a book and get it published and all of that minutia in between to, <laughs> to deal with your own um, anxiety about even doing that um, and bring it to the surface. I, you're my hero um, because I have been in love with writing and writers all of my life. Um, it's nothing like a good book, um, but it's nothing like being inspired um, that that people can live with grief. Um, yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing is I, grief is like a, I feel like it's a backpack that, that mm-hmm. you learned with heavy rocks in it. You learn to live with it and you get stronger, but it never really goes away. It never goes away. You never get over losing that person. It never seems acceptable or fair or right that they died and that you have to live this life without them. But you do learn to live with it. Yeah. And don't you think that's a myth? Is everybody these days like, get over it. You know, your mom died. Get over yeah. it. It's been two years. And people, and, and that is destructive in itself. It's absolutely destructive. And that's, you know, that's why people like you and I are really working to change this conversation, to change that narrative for our culture. I think it's really important um, that we stop telling people to get over it because no one's going to get over it. I, you know, lost a boyfriend to melanoma over 20 years ago. And I recently just was talking to his mother and she got a little choked up um, in the phone call. And she, she was like, I'm sorry. I'm like, no, that is the problem mm-hmm. is that you should never feel sorry for feeling that. And to be able to have the heart and being brave and vulnerable to allow that to come to surface is very healing. It really is. Yeah. It's the message I just say over and over. It's okay to continue grieving no matter how long it takes and however you do it. There's no right way to do it. Oh, I love that. So 
you are starting some online series because you cannot take any more clients out there. You're you're maxed out, which is, uh, believe me, if I was living out there, I would want you to be my therapist. Okay, but we're friends, so you couldn't. But anyway, um, you you really see a need for this, and people are overwhelmed with anxiety and this grief issue. So you're start starting to think about some online classes where people can actually still reach you, even though you have a full schedule. Yeah, I'm currently creating a series of online courses that will begin to become available later this spring. And um, they'll go through all kinds of different things, loss of parent, loss of spouse, grappling with anxiety after after a loss. Um, and they'll be available online featuring like audio meditations, videos from me, a workbook that will come along with it. So I'm really excited about this. I mean, this is the thing. You have two children. You're getting ready to get married. I mean, how do you do it all? I don't sleep a lot and I don't watch TV. <laughs> well, that's, hey, that takes that, a lot. That, that uh, takes some things out of the schedule. That's true. <laughs> so how do people get in touch with you? Uh, my website, clairebidwellsmith.com. And they can just reach out to you. They can email me. They can find my social media. They can find my courses. They can find audio meditations. Yeah, it's all there. My books, everything. Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time out today. Uh, first of all, I, I feel like we have been friends all of our lives. Yeah, me too. And I just adore you. I'm so happy with what's going on with your life right now and the, the so positive things with new beginnings happening. And I, I just love you to death and support you. And I really do appreciate what you're trying to do when it comes to this grief and loss and the continuing education and these open conversations. Um, so thank you so much. I feel all the same things about you, Kimberly. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. And I hope you have a great day. Thanks. You too. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer.